Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. The text for our Gospel Proclamation comes from the Epistle for the Transfiguration of Our Lord, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 21. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have something more sure. The prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. The text for our Gospel Proclamation is the Epistle of Second Peter that I just finished reading for you and serves as the basis of our theme for the transfiguration of our Lord through this prophetic word. Two weeks ago, we talked about the clever speakers on the streets of Corinth that attracted the attention of the soldier buying groceries with his meager pension check, the woman shopping for purple dyed cloth, and the slave collecting his master's debts, all being drawn to these clever speakers of eloquent and entertaining nonsense, the TikTok and Instagram of their day, as it were. This week, Peter addresses the Gentiles that are now considered equal to the Jews for Jesus from Jerusalem and encourages them likewise to not be drawn away by these cleverly devised myths that seem good, but when held up to the truth of the gospel, fail on every conceivable level. So Peter writes this for our spiritual edification today and really seems like a total hypocrite doing so. After all, he was the very one who in Galatians 2, 11 to 19, was rebuked by the apostles for submitting to the prejudice of the Jews who said that people from all ethnic backgrounds had to fulfill the Jewish ritual law before they could become Christians. This guy, well, like all of us, Peter seems to have evolved by the power of the Holy Spirit, now convicted that the gospel is truly for everyone. That is one of the great struggles today in the church. We do such a great job of making the church a place we like to be, but we tend to make it, who has two thumbs up? (laughs) Just for me. What I mean is, sometimes church becomes more about the culture of our friends rather than about Christ. Sometimes the church is the politics of the possible rather than the preeminence of the gospel. 
And sometimes church just gets a little too comfortable and no longer strives to stretch out of that comfort zone to bring in those who need comforting the most. My favorite example of this comes from the land of my birth. The Lutheran churches in the Dakotas were very interesting in the 40s and 50s. As I heard told, most of them were started by Norwegians who apparently got there first and felt they had the rightful claim to the churches because, well, they started them, built them, and even called pastors from Scandinavia to shepherd them. Well, sometime after that, the Swedes began to immigrate to the area, along with my people, the Danes. And because Minnesota and the Dakotas were settled by the Norwegians, they were certain they would be able to comfortably immigrate there. The story goes that one old Norwegian came into the church to complain to his pastor that he was worried about the future of the church. Why ever would you be concerned? His pastor inquired. Well, the little old Norwegian continued, it's those Swedes and Danes that are moving into town. I'm worried that they might start coming to church. Now he had the pastor's attention, who continued, why on earth would that be a problem? The little Norwegian stammered incredulously, because they're all idiots. Man, if Scandinavians can't get along, clearly all hope is lost. Now today, that is an obviously ancient memory, but some here today still remember what it was like to be the last immigrant to get to the community and not always be welcomed by those who came just a generation or two before them. I believe this text reveals that while Peter used to be that way, he isn't anymore. Now, I will allow that some have suggested that Peter didn't even write Second Peter, and that is why he has changed so much. And it's true, this is some high-level Greek that a common fisherman is unlikely to master. But we also know that in 1 Peter 5.12, Peter used Sylvanus to write, which makes sense for his second letter because he was so intent on describing his eyewitness account, Sylvanus could record it whilst he was inspired to say it. Which brings us to the most shocking point of this text. Peter indicates that the scriptures are more certain than experience. Wow, who talks like that? I mean, which one of us would choose the person with no experience and nothing but book knowledge to operate on our brain? Which one of us would choose the pilot to fly a mission to the moon with us on it that only read about it in books and trained in simulators? Which one of us looks to a pastor to care for our souls that spent an extra four to six years immediately after seminary, studying Hebrew targums, Greek philosophy, or Aramaic grammar and syntax, but never visited a loved one when they were dying in the hospital or preached a sermon for a funeral or a wedding? The answer is probably no one. Not one of us, including me. Want the parchment paper pastor to minister to us in our time of spiritual crisis. No, no. We want the grizzled, white-haired, been-there, done-that, and can speak those words of peace that says, don't worry, I've been in this situation hundreds of times, and we're going to get through it together. 
One of my favorite pastors growing up, Bob Tasler, was once proctoring a wedding I happened to attend long before I was a pastor. You could tell the young couple and their parents were a little stressed out about what to do. So Pastor Tazer gathered them all around and, with the wisdom of a man who knew exactly how they felt, asked the group, How many weddings have you been to? Someone said one, another said two. I think another had been to a few more than that. So he looked them over and then he continued, I have presided over 300 weddings. So we're going to get through this together and have a good time doing it. I can tell you that a peace set over that wedding party and everyone relaxed and had a wonderful time because they knew an experienced pastor was going to make sure it all went great. And it did. So we know experience trumps knowledge every time. But not this time according to Peter. This time we know that the word is more certain than the experience. And Peter had the experience. He walked with his Lord and saw him perform miracles. He sat at his feet as his disciples and learned everything he had to say. He was on the holy mountain when Jesus flashed white like a blast of lightning and Moses and Elijah were brought down from heaven to be there with our Savior. He was there when they took him to be scourged and abused and whipped by the Roman soldiers. But then Peter abandoned Jesus to the second a few people associated with him. The man Peter said he would die for. How ironic. But none of that mattered to Peter now. What mattered to Peter now more than ever was that Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus forgave his sins and even trusted him for starting his church in Jerusalem. Peter didn't deserve it. He certainly did not earn it. And even though he experienced it, Peter knew experience had nothing to do with it. He, by the grace of God, was given it. He was given a light to lighten this dark world with the very word of God. The prophecies from of old, the wisdom of the ages, the very instructions of God himself, which could be found in any temple in any Judean or Jewish community, was all better than what Peter experienced. Then, the preservation of the eyewitness accounts of Jesus the letters written by Peter, Paul, and James, and others that speak the words of encouragement to the infant churches throughout the Mediterranean, all these carefully codexed into a canon of 66 books that we have in our hands to this day. All of this is better than seeing it in person. <laughs> the lunacy of this statement cannot be ignored, and yet we should. For what we have today is exactly what Peter experienced, saw, and proclaimed to the Gentiles, newly grafted into the church alongside their Jews and Judeans for Jesus, brothers and sisters in Christ. Carried throughout the early church until the fall of Constantinople, guided to the reformers who took the Latin Vulgate and put it in the language of the people 
spirited from there to the scribes of King James, and then accompanying the pilgrims, the Quakers, and eventually the Saxons with these precious prophetic words to America. Not just better than the experience, but now the experience in and of itself. This word the people of God surrounded themselves with as we devote ourselves to the word of God manifest to us in a community of people sounding the gospel proclamation once again, just like Peter experienced. This is our experience. The forgiveness and love of Christ for the sinner, saved by his death on the cross for us, resurrecting his body, which gives us the resurrection from the dead for eternal life with him through this prophetic word. Amen. Now may that peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus always. Amen.